Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I am joined by Andy Gerbuka. Number one long day's journey in tonight's Stan Kellen, actually. Emilio Diaz. All right. Later in this episode, we're going to be joined by Eric Allen Hatch to talk about the films of Be Gone. But before we do that, we have some festival news to go over it's festival, festival announcement news. season festival it's a lot of keep on yeah it's a lot of kind of continuations from last week uh yeah. yes. starting off we have a centerpiece film for the new york film festival uh and it is power of the dog the jane campion film which will be woof, woof. premiering in competition at the Venice Film Festival and has also been added to the special presentations at the Toronto Film Festival, which is a Canadian premiere, which means it will be yes. doing all of Venice, Toronto, Telluride, Telluride New York, which is York. not... The full nomad land. Yeah. Is what mm-hmm. it's the full non-fiction. Olivier Assayas' sure. non-fiction. Uh, but yeah... Uh, I was saying last week, like, uh, it would make sense that uh, one of the uh, gala slots is not going to be a premiere. So here we have it. It's this one. Uh, We've talked about this movie some. Uh, yeah, I mean, seems exciting. Got uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in it. uh, we, we We got a press still. Get excited to see that press still all over the place. Mm-hmm. Is also in wearing it. a hat, standing in a field. Yeah. Yep, Dunstan Plemons playing a married couple. Yeah. Ooh, how mm-hmm. will it mirror, mirror their real life marriage? And I mean, look yeah. forward to the profiles. Campion's first feature since her perfect masterpiece, Bright Star. Right. Wow, is it that real? I mean, yeah, yeah. she, yeah. Top I mean, she made two between, top of the lakes. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, look, we talked about those as well. Great stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, even then, that's like still like what 11 well, 2017 years 2017 was top of like china girl um no but yeah i know oh, I mean, but it's been 11 Star, years yeah, since yeah. she made she made a feature it's like yeah it's like you'd think there would be one more in there uh, nope or like a third tv i know yeah that's yeah. crazy but i mean look we're all excited for more jane uh sure yeah. <laughs> i'll see it um at some point i mean it'll be on Netflix. yeah i'll, I'll yeah, it's a Netflix movie. I, I'm excited to see it. I'm not, like, the hugest Jane Campion fan, yeah. but it seems interesting. Yeah. It does feel like they're gearing... that Like, Netflix is aiming to premiere it pretty shortly after this festival run. Like, it'll probably be, like, a late October, early November... Right. ...release for them. Although, they'll, I imagine Jane Campion has some sort of theatrical window in her deal. One would think. So... I would imagine they'll they'll probably do the three weeks that they usually do for the for the artists, right? That's like what yeah. Marty Scorsese got and whatnot. Like, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, maybe the theatrical window though is playing every festival known. Yeah, to maybe. Oh, 
We'll see. We'll see. It's like my local like shorts amateur shorts film festival is also showing yes. power. That's of the right. Dog. That'd be. I mean, look, maybe that's Netflix's move. It's just like we're not gonna put this like in a wide release, but any film festival any that festival happens, that you can it. request yeah. one of our movies. Yeah. 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 Who says Netflix doesn't support festivals? Well, they'll give a Jane Campion to anyone who asks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Netflix is like, no one asked us. We would have done it. Everyone just assumed we would have said no. Yes. <laughs> they send like yeah Jesse Plemons to like every Q and A. It's like mm-hmm. he's like, what? Where am I? What's going on? What festival is mm-hmm. this? Any. All right. Uh, That's the only New York announcement. We're expecting more from them. With, with I would closing say, night. <laughs> yeah, closing night next week and main slate the following week. Uh, and then, yeah, maybe the rest of the stuff the week after. Something like that. Uh, sure. Any closing night prediction? I still think it's going to be Soggy Bottom. Mm. I mean, look. I mean, the question seems, is it going to be done? Like, that's like the main fact. And that like, seems like the answer to that question is yes. I mean, yeah, because if it's done, then it's like Venice announced everything, so it's not going to be there. I guess it could be like Telluride, but yeah. it, it, that really doesn't matter for New York because it it doesn't need to be a premiere. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem doesn't seem like there's a better place for it unless it just doesn't do a festival, I mean, yeah, which is possible. Yeah, it's possible. But like he said, I think that if Phantom Thread had been done earlier, he would have liked that to do festivals. So. I assume. I mean, look, will. that'd be great for us. <laughs> I'd love to see that movie as soon as I can. Yeah. I mean, it's the cl- it's the closing. It would be the closing night movie, which means I don't think any of us would be I there. Will. But uh, uh, if it's there, I will see it. But we'll have press I, access, we'll so it won't matter. That movie at all. Uh huh. I don't know if they screen those. We, this is maybe too inside baseball you were for this podcast. We can move At on. least last year they screened the galas in advance by several days. Uh, okay, so uh, the Toronto Film Festival announced fewer sections than right. they had said they, they were did. going to. It's yeah. They, so they had said they were going to announce Contemporary World Cinema and Discovery, which they did. They also said they were going to announce... Wavelengths, Midnight Madness, Tiff Docs, and Primetime. They did none of those, but they did give us a few more special presentations and galas. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. Seems like they're, I mean, I mean, I imagine they're the festival that is most struggling oh, with, yeah. like, what, are what we is doing? going on yeah. as far as people coming here mm-hmm. or not. Yeah, right? I mean, so. they're late on letting people know if they've been accredited as press. Uh, yeah. Would it, one it's would a hard have, time to be yeah. running the Toronto mm-hmm. International Film Festival. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because if, if when they like, l- I think last week or two weeks ago, they seemed like, oh, uh, international travel will be open. People come over here. And then like within the last week, it seems like a lot of that stuff has been maybe thrown into a little bit of chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the situation keeps changing, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, so... I will say, I don't think we're really going to talk about Discovery. Those are, uh, by design, films by filmmakers that we've not heard of. And that's a case for a lot of the contemporary world cinema films. But there are a few in there that are uh, 
recognizable directors. Uh, we have The Box, the Lorenzo Vegas film that's going to be premiering in competition at Venice. Uh, I believe it's his only... I think it might be only his second film, or maybe not. But anyway, his previous film won the Golden Lion in 2015, uh, Desde Aya. Uh, not one of the higher profile Venice wins, certainly doesn't really fit in with the more recent ones, but uh, it was a different time. Uh, and yeah, uh, also in that section, we have uh, oh, the uh, Kira Kovalenko film from Uncertain Regard, which won that section. Uh, that's one that I could... I, I mentioned that that was supposed to be pretty good. It's one I could see showing up at uh, New York Film Festival, depending on just like how the main slate lines up. And then, of course, we have uh, the world premiere of the new film from the director behind Hot Tub Time Machine and Hot Tub Time Machine 2, Steve Pink's The Wheel, starring no one I've ever heard of. Wow. Does the wheel refer to the hot tub time machine, which is round? Do you think it's part of the same universe? I think it's possible. Maybe. It's about Holy a shit. couple who were about to break up, uh, but maybe one of them... But maybe they the need to go tub. back in time to the 80s and experience their life th through that prism? Something like that. Andy's wearing a Don't hot tub time machine t-shirt? <laughs> I have never seen a hot what? tub time machine film. <laughs> Hindi is turned around and the, shirt, the back of his shirt says number one Rob Corddry fan. <laughs> and he's got a fake Lugal t-shirt on. This is a very specific joke for Hot Tub Time Machine fans. Yeah. <laughs> of which uh, there are tons. Especially yeah. that listen to us. Yeah. Yep. It's How many of us have seen any I've seen the first one. I've also seen the first I've one. Seen I've none. seen none. There was definitely a point at which I was like, oh, yeah, I should watch Hot Tub Time Machine. And then. Yeah. Uh, They're like pretty homophobic, right? Isn't that like. Probably. Thing? Or, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sure. They're, they're All right. They're like yeah. uh, a comedy. There have been three galas added. One of them is a move from special presentations, uh, the Joaquin Trier film, The Worst Person in the World. And the other two are, like, movies with famous actors that seem like nothing. Uh, does anyone have anything to say about either of those? No. I just looked at them, and I was like, ooh, this is that classic yeah. shit yeah. that, that uh -huh. I, I am just begging for. Just, like, two famous people in a movie where it looks like they're wearing, like, a windbreaker. Yeah. Just give me that shit I straight mean, in yeah. the one of a, one Nobody's of them, ever going to watch any of these movies. One of them's co-directed by Wally Wallodarsky, who's like a Simpsons guy and like was mm. in Fantastic yeah. Mr. Fox. Right. So like I recognize that name. Yes. But that's, that's it. Yeah. And like the bump up to for, for Worst Person in the World is probably just like they secured someone to actually be there, which is why they moved it probably something or something like that. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, and then the special presentations, uh, we've got, uh, The Falls, which is in Orizonte at Venice. Uh, this is the follow-up, uh, from Chung Mong Hong to A Sun, which popped up on Netflix, 
at some point during the pandemic and got kind of mixed reception. But I think some people really liked it. Uh, I've talked to people who didn't really, uh, but seems like an interesting uh, up-and-coming filmmaker. Uh, the world premiere of The Humans, which I think yes. we're all interested in. Yeah, uh, cool cast. About, yeah. uh, have talked about it. Yeah, I'm curious to see if it pops up in the main slate at New York Film Festival, given the New York it's connection. It's classic New York. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we all love classic New York. Yeah. yeah. You want to take this next one, Emilio? This next one. <laughs> what do you think I'm asking you to take? Oh, Masaki Yuasa's yes. Inuo. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's like it's uh, Masaki Yuasa's new movie. Director of such films as Mind Game, uh, Night is Short, Walk on Girl, Ride Your Wave. Just a, a bunch of I mean, great anime movies. He's like a guy who has been. I think slowly rising the ranks of like notoriety within like anime circles and like moving into film circles yeah. and like this movie's also playing Orizonte yeah. at Venice mm-hmm. and it seems like he is like sort of posturing himself and like to make that leap into like a festival guy who's going to premiere stuff at festivals and move on to that platform of mm-hmm. like Hosada and like other Ghibli guys which is exciting because I think he's fantastic he makes a lot of stuff he made it he also works in TV. He made uh, uh, Ping Pong, the animation. Tatami and, Galaxy. Uh, Tatami Galaxy. Just a bunch of like very wonderful stuff. He's got crazy style. Yeah. He's uh, very expressionistic in his animation style. The way he draws people. The way pe- things move. This new one seems to be set in 14th century Japan and has like song and dance it elements. It looks so, so good. Really There's a trailer for that. that looks insane. Yeah, it uh, it might like many of these anime movies. It probably might just premiere in Japan before it does these festivals, or it might not, or like in the middle of these festival runs. But I'm excited. I hope it comes to New York. It seems to be doing a lot of festivals, so I'm 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 very pumped for Yuasa. The Yuasa come Mm up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, Next, we've got from uh, Can Competition, uh, Lingui the. Mahamatsula Harun film, which it sounded, excuse me, uh, sounded like was pretty good. He's like kind of on the borderline of being one of those guys who it's like he just pops up at Cannes with all his movies and no one really cares. He's not quite that. Some people are into his movies, but none of them ever seem to like really hit. And I don't know that this one's going to be any different. Uh, Next one is another really tiffy movie, uh, though it premiered, it premiered at uh, uh, the Cannes premiere section, though Eva Husson has premiered films at TIFF before. And that's Mothering Sunday with Olivia Coleman and... Uh, oh, who are the leads again? It's Odessa, Odessa Young, Young and... Uh, is it Josh O'Connor, I think? Yes, yes. Yeah, they're the leads. Uh, Colin Firth is also in it. Uh, but yeah, it sounded like it's like fine. Uh, Power of the Dog, they're also going to show, uh, which we mentioned already. Sundown, the new Michelle Franco movie, uh, reuniting him with Tim Roth. Also, Charlotte Gainsbourg is in it. That's in uh, 
competition at Venice. It's his second straight year. And then Wolf, this George McKay thing, uh, is going to world premiere there. Yeah. Yeah, which is... That's a, the pitch on that is George McKay acts like a wolf. He I thinks think? he's a wolf. And right, so, yeah, so as a result, he acts like a wolf. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we're going to get into Venice, which announced uh, everything. Uh, mm-hmm. We already knew that opening night would be uh, Parallel Mothers, yeah. the Pedro Almodovar film. Uh, I'm going to try and go through these relatively quickly, uh, maybe highlight some of the lesser-known filmmakers a little bit more, because uh, we've talked about a lot of these yeah. movies, and I feel like last week I said a lot of them would be at this festival. Uh, Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon is the Annalilliamir poor movie with Ed Skrine and Kate Hudson and Craig mm-hmm. Robinson. Uh Un autre monde is uh, Stéphane Brise, who has been at both uh, Cannes and Venice in competition, uh, works with uh, Vincent Lindon a lot, and he's in this one as well. And then we've got Power of the Dog. Uh, America Latina is by the Dinocenzo brothers, whose last film was in competition at Berlin in 2020 right before everything shut down Uh, it like did that virtual festival circuit a little bit but not a ton Uh, and like it didn't get into New York Film Festival Uh, but it did win best actor at Berlin Uh, and it's one of a number of Italian movies in competition uh, Le Venement, uh, is Audrey Dewan, who is, uh, second, I-, I mentioned that she might be in competition last week. This is her second film as a director, but she has written other films. Uh, she doesn't really have any major festival experience with that first film, though. Uh, Official Competition is that movie that we talked about last week with Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas by... Gaston Duprat and Mariano Cohn. Uh, they've been both in and out of competition at Venice before, so, uh, you know, with a bigger star thing. Those previous movies didn't get a ton of attention, but with bigger stars, perhaps they will. Uh, we've got the new Michelangelo Framartino movie, uh, director of Le Quattro Volte. This one's called. Il Buco, which I believe translates to The Hole. Uh, this is one that there have been rumors about it maybe being ready for a while, uh, and it's finally popping up. Uh, the Michelle Franco, which I mentioned. Uh, Sundown, uh, Illusions, Perdues, the Xavier Giannoli. He's just like a French guy who... Uh, is been around longer than Brise, but similarly has been in competition at both Venice and Cannes. In theory, we will be talking about one of his films as part of our 2006 Cannes series. Uh, and this is his new one. Uh, the Maggie Gyllenhaal film, Lost Daughter, uh, another Olivia Coleman movie. Uh, I believe it turned out that it, it sounds like it is Netflix that just picked this up. Uh, and it maybe even kind of 
uh, Andrew, the Andrew Dominic film is kind of one of the bigger snubs, and that everyone was kind of thinking, oh, that'll be at Venice. And it didn't show up. It's uh, it's unclear if it was turned down or if it was more just like, ah, eh, this isn't an awardsy thing. I don't know if it's even gonna come out this year. We're more more committed to this Maggie Gyllenhaal movie. Uh, and then Spencer, the Pablo Larraín film with Kristen Stewart yes. as Princess Diana. Uh, yeah. Uh, Gabriel Mainetti is uh, another second-time filmmaker. His first film also didn't really play any major festivals. It looks like I think both of his films, this first one and this new one, uh, are kind of genre-y. This one's called Freaks Out. uh, And there's another kind of genre-y film that we'll get to in just a moment. We've got Qui Rido Io, the Mario Martone film. He is, like, the Venice version of, like, whatever, like, random French filmmaker that no one cares about who, like, pops up at Cannes all the time. Like, (laughs) I don't think any—he's in Venice all the time, and no one who doesn't go to Venice ever sees these movies. Uh, On the Job, The Missing Eight is a film by Filipino director Eric Mati, who has made a lot of movies. His only other one is actually On the Job, the film that this is a sequel to, which played at Director's Fortnite. Uh, And this is apparently going to be released as a series on uh, HBO in the Philippines, but no word. Uh, Pretty shortly after the festival, but no word on a release beyond that. Uh, Leave No Traces, another second film. There's a lot of second films. The sequel uh, to Leave No Trace, obviously. <laughs> yeah. By uh, Jan P. Madushinsky. Uh His first movie premiered at Locarno and Rotterdam, and then played at Rotterdam, uh, which is like a solid combo. Uh, Captain... Volkonogov Escaped is a film from Natasha Merkulova and Alexei. What a what a title! Yeah, and Alexei Chupov. There are two directors of this film. Uh, yeah, uh, this is uh, and they are kind of being upgraded from the Horizonte, uh, the Horizon section. Uh, their last film was there. The Card Counter. The Paul Schrader movie. We've talked about it a bunch. Trailer out. Trailer's out. It right. looks really it's crazy. It looks out. good, I think. Yeah. Uh, the Hand of God is the Pelo Sorrentino film. We haven't talked about that a uh, lot, but I feel like none of us really like Sorrentino yeah. and don't care about this movie. Andy uh, loves Sorrentino. Fine. I, might, I, I mean, I might like it. It's fine. It's, yeah. like it's his most personal film to date. Uh, okay. Yeah, he seems like uh, a great person. <laughs> Reflection is the second film from Valentin Vasyanovich, whose first film, Atlantis, uh, got a little bit of attention. That was also in Horizonte, and then played TIFF, where I feel like I heard about it a little bit, uh, and then was at the new director's new films in 2020 that ended up being digital at the end of that year instead of in the regular 
March slot, uh, and it hasn't yet been released fully in the United States, but uh, there was some buzz around that film, and so I think uh, people are curious to see what this one looks like, and then finally the aforementioned uh, La Caja, The Box, uh, the Lorenzo Vegas film that is also playing at TIFF. Uh, just like quickly looking through the rest of the festival, uh, we knew that David Gordon Green's Halloween Kills was going to be here. We also knew Dune would be here. We knew Last Night in Soho would be here, though there was a thought it might be in competition. It is out. Uh, we're also getting one of the Ridley Scott films, uh, The Last Duel, the first one. Excuse me. Uh, and then the first five episodes of the scenes from a marriage remake. How many episodes is it? Not a clue. The whole thing, I would guess yeah. eight. Let me see. Just five seems just like a crazy. It's a like weird a number. Well, Especially if the, if it may, there may be half an hour, which would make more sense. Ooh. Or are they going to be an hour? There's five episodes they're total, an and they're all hour long. Oh, so it's just all of them. Yeah. That makes more sense. Okay. Uh, then, yeah, we've got uh, some... Oh, inter- the All right, Andy. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> for, for whatever critic has is have, is good, gets assigned to watch all five hours of Scenes of a Marriage yeah. at Venice. Look, maybe I it's great. do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, they watched... Uh, I remember... I vividly remember people watching all of top of the lake uh china yes girl. that's uh, right china girl at, at Cannes. i mean mm-hmm. they did like then they do like four or so episodes of the like 90 minute episode each of the two old to die young Oh, maybe. Um, maybe i feel like that was like i don't remember like weird selection. yeah like, i don't remember how many but it wasn't like the first second episode. episode no it was like it episode was like, three no. five like Six and, and three, then, and uh, like four, <laughs> like, like whatever. Something, uh, like the comp- comp- something ridiculous. Uh, and we have to stand. <laughs> we have no, to stand we don't. We've got a couple of just, interesting yeah. short films <laughs> out of competition. Uh, a Radu Jude called Plastic Semiotic. He, of course, won the Golden Bear earlier this year. And Siming Long, uh, The Night, of course, his new film, Days, will be coming out uh, at least starting next month at Film at Lincoln Center. Who knows what type of release it's going to end up getting. And then going through uh, Horizons quickly, uh, I mentioned... I mentioned the Chung Long Hong movie. Uh, there's a new film from Mohamed Diab, who directed Clash, which was in uncertain regard in 2016, but is, of course, also one of the directors of the Moon Knight Marvel series. Right. Uh, what a fucking And then, world. yeah, we've got this movie directed by Harry Woodliffe called True Things that has... Uh, Ruth Wilson and Tom Burke. Uh, there's a still from that. Tom Burke's hair is like bleached blonde. He looks kind of crazy. Uh, and then the uh, Yuasa film. Uh, and then yeah. there's this new section uh, 
Ordizanti Extra, which uh, no one, I can't figure out. I can't, no one can figure out what this section means. Yeah, why these What films, makes them? Yeah, what maybe makes them Maybe all the extra? movies are really extra. What what it's, like, it like, seems like it's extra. either that they're more accessible or less accessible, but it's not clear which one. Uh, oh boy. And it's yeah. I think none of them are really that high profile. And yeah. uh yeah. yeah, I think that's all the news we've got. Yeah, I mean the competition lineup is interesting cuz you mentioned there's a lot of like second time yeah. filmmakers. Yeah. There's a lot of like There's like more there. names than I expected that I either had not heard at all or like had to be like reminded oh yeah that's who that is uh but like there's, it's, it's like, not like there's like a ton of big names that i thought were gonna be there that are missing uh yeah yeah but there are people like right. yeah like you said they could have put the right in competition they could put i mean just put the fucking you off in competition. <laughs> yeah that would have been so doing? cool what, 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 why do we why do we got to do this with anime where we just have to like make it Right. right. I yeah, feel like it would have it. not been out of line to put the Chung Mong Hong in competition based on the reception to yeah. his son. Uh, but yeah, but, it's like these all basically, it seems like a very regular Venice competition. Yeah, there was, uh, I guess, an interview in Variety, right, with Alberto Barbera, right. the, uh, the, the festival director, uh, artistic director, excuse me. <laughs> Uh, and he talked like a little bit, yeah, like about the, the 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 percentage of women directors is like a little bit down, and he commented on that. Uh, although he said thematically women are dominating, uh, okay. they're doing they they have good relationship with the studios, uh, and they talked a little bit about like Nightmare Alley was like right, it, it had a spot, but like it's just not done. Yeah, so uh, that's what happened there. If anyone's curious about that, yeah, um, yeah, it seems like fairly standard stuff. I, Jesse, you watched the announcement, right? The, I didn't hear any like did anything notable happen no. during the announcement no. or the press it conference. Was it just you know they talked stuff. a lot. Uh, yeah, in Italian. Uh, there was there was Where also did... translation. Okay. Where did first reform premiere? Venice. It's, sh- it's okay. So Schrader has premiered his last two movies. Then. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and that was like uh I feel like that that was like a late addition to uh New York Film Festival. They were kind of like, "Oh, people like this one. I guess we should put it in." Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. And that was like the year before it like actually came. Yeah, yes. that one, yeah. yeah. Cuz it played TIFF also. Yeah. And then uh came out in 18. Mhm. Uh but yeah, uh most of us have already recorded our plugs but uh andy what would you like to plug uh yeah uh yeah as always i'm andy you can find me on the various social media platforms at andy t germ andy y t g e r m uh trying to think if i have anything specific to plug i don't think i have anything in particular um, just watch, watch, watch things. Watch. I've been watching, catching up on TV. Uh, the White Lotus. Actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug that. Mike White's The White Lotus. Three episodes have aired so far. It's on HBO. It's mm-hmm. really tremendous stuff. I think it's really special, uh, and I heartily recommend it. Um, Mike White definitely, like I, 
I've only seen a couple of his movies. I guess I've seen Beatrice at Dinner, which I didn't really like, but I do like yeah. um, the other one that came out that year. Brad, Brad Status. Uh, Brad Status. I yeah. like that one a lot. Um, uh, and obviously Enlightened is like one of the greatest things ever created, I think, in, in the history of filmed media. But uh, yeah, White Lotus. I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. It's got, I think it's really got a lot of really interesting stuff going on. And if you are not watching it, you should. That's all I got. All right. And also, since uh, our plugs were recorded a couple weeks ago, uh, Andy's not going to let us talk about old, but that movie is the absolute best. Uh, Cullen loves it, too, I know. Uh, It's really, really phenomenal. Go see old, and that is the end of this segment. All right. And now to talk about uh, the films of Be Gone, we are joined by uh, film curator and writer Eric Allen Hatch. Thanks for having me. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. I mean, uh, I think I mentioned to you that the, the reason why I initially was aware of the films of Be Gone was because of your write up on Kylie Blues uh, and that movie just like blew me away I think maybe when I saw it uh first Long Day's Journey Night it was like in production or in the can that hadn't premiered yet yeah um well that's awesome because I actually found out about Kylie Blues uh on Twitter you know as it was Mm -hmm. um premiering in New York maybe at New York Film Festival years ago so I don't recall but sounds right yeah, um, it just seemed to be, and I was in a moment of kind of uh, burnout with film and work and stuff. And, um, you know, the last thing I wanted in that moment was another film to watch. And then just <laughs> something about the way people were talking about the film on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's like, I get that. this is one to prioritize. And um, yeah, just, you know, it's one of those films that just renews your faith in not just film, but like, uh, not to be corny, but the, the, the future of film, you know, because it's, mm-hmm. you know, a young artist who's yeah. um, at the top of his game and, and seemingly getting better with every project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we get into these two movies, I did want to ask generally just about uh, what it's like to go to film festivals as a programmer and curator with the intention of kind of discovering things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I had been going to film festivals as a hobby before um, Mm -hmm. being a curator. And the first one that I would go to would be Toronto. And Mm -hmm. um, this is, you know, I'm aging myself, but this is the late 90s. So it was still a pretty cheap festival, (laughs) (laughs) $10-$15 tickets. So as long as you were willing to to line up early, um, you could get a grip of, you know, 40 or 50 tickets for you know, a a pretty reasonable vacation uh, amount of money. Um, So I would do that. And um, when I first started programming professionally, I would be trying to cram five or six movies in a day and staying the full duration of a 10-day festival like TIFF or uh, Sundance South by Southwest. Um, I chilled out on that a lot more and realized that like, you know, three or four movies a day where you kind of try to optimize the viewing conditions is better for you and better for your take on the movies. And um, maybe that's, you know, maybe maybe if you're 25, I would still recommend trying the five or six <laughs> movie thing, but at my age, I've slowed down a little. But in terms of curation, particularly when you're trying to make um, discoveries, whether it's in, 
you know, international film or, or American independent. I mean, the first thing I generally do is just eliminate films with, um, you know, distribution or maybe a major um, production company or sales agent behind them, um, just because uh, I'll probably be able to access those films elsewhere along the line and they may already be um, a much bigger deal by the time a regional festival that I'm working for um, is, is looking to, to roll out its program. But, you know, I also, um, both because I think it's the right thing to do, but also just, just out of my own joy of cinema, try to like find films from corners of the world that aren't often particularly well represented. Um, a, those unfortunately are less likely to pop up in the marketplace. Um, but B, you know, that's time and time again, that's where you really um, do feel like you're making a discovery when you take a chance on, you know, 77 minute film from Uruguay or whatever it may be. So. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, I mean, in terms of the festival background of Kylie Blues, uh, it premiered uh, at Locarno in the their section for uh, first and second films, and it won uh, best first feature. And then it uh, played like some of the fall festivals. It didn't do TIFF or New York. Uh, hmm. it did like Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver, Mar del Plata, uh, and then did the New York premiere was at uh, New Directors, New Films uh, that spring. And it also played at uh, Rotterdam, which I'd imagine would be a place where a lot of people would have picked up on it. Uh, yeah, so I probably was absorbing the uh, Twitter chatter from New Directors, New Films by the time I caught up with it. Would that have been 2016 at that point? Yeah, or? Mm -hmm. yeah that sounds right. Yeah. And then yeah, it like came out uh, came out later that year, I assume, just like on a few screens, uh, Grasshopper put it out. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I I agree that it is like a movie that really, it really grabs you, uh, and does like is just like really exciting like it feels like something that i haven't seen before and like still felt like that re-watching it last night uh i don't know you you watched it for the first time right cohen yes i had not seen either of these until mm -hmm. yesterday uh and like i'm so upset at myself retroactively for being at <laughs> tiff the long day's journey tonight year and mm -hmm. just not seeing it because it would have been insane um mm -hmm. but uh I do think like exciting is like a great word for it. And like the, I or for uh, be gone. And like the idea that he's only made two features and they're both like this, like it is so like whatever it is next, like obviously I'll be there. And like, I'm so excited mm -hmm. to see what it is. Um, but yeah, Kylie, I was like, cause they're both similarly structured in that it's like, a, like definitely like split into halves and uh you know there was someone i think like on letterbox who uh called them a hypnagogic filmmaker and i was like <laughs> that is like uh, a great thing of just like mm -hmm. it is so like dreamy and like almost like you know uh like it's like shades of like slow cinema like uh sleepy like and that it's just like so I mean, it's just hard to like explain like how like ethereal it feels after, especially mm -hmm. after the um, 
the the break in uh kylie blue is when it starts the long take um where you're just like it's so fluid and how he just moves around this town and like how out of time it feels even within like the content or context of the movie like when you go into the barber shop and then it's like revealed or revealed to me I guess maybe it's not Mm -hmm. supposed to be so like shocking that it is the guy who was who was there uh at the beginning I was like this is just like crazy like logistically to think about like how everyone is moving around the camera mm-hmm. um and then like yeah. even you know there's like the the way that he uses the modes of transportation like on the motorcycle and following that and then just the decision to like cut through the buildings when they go around and like it mm-hmm. the the way the audio will shift there and then when you're on the boat and they're giving you like the wikipedia entry for kylie uh <laughs> it's so just I mean, it's just exciting. It's like such a interesting way to do this sort of thing that like I don't think I had seen before. And that um, primed me, I think, in a great way for Long Day's Journey where like I was like on board right away. Like I know Emilio mm-hmm. and Jesse, you're both saying it's a bit sleepy at the start. Uh, and I was a bit nervous because I was feeling that with Kylie. But then with Long Day's Journey, I just like slid right in. But I think that like we'll talk about it, obviously, but I think it has more to do with like how sort of rooted in a genre space that feels more so than Kylie, which is much mm-hmm. more like austere. Yeah, I mean, as far as to kind of give someone an idea of what these movies are like, uh, if you haven't seen them, though, you should certainly. Yes. Uh, I think uh, there's a quote on the back of the... Uh, the Kylie Blues uh, Blu-ray from uh, Jay Hoberman, where the three filmmakers that he mentions are uh, Alain Rene, Andre Tarkovsky, and Hosha Shan. And I do think those are all appropriate, like the way that Tarkovsky kind of deals with time and the way Rene sort of deals with reality and sometimes with dreams, though it's never... I think both of those filmmakers, it's often not entirely clear if dreams are exactly what's being dealt with. Uh, but then the the other part is that while having kind of shades of those filmmakers, it does feel wholly original. Yeah. Uh, two, two points of reference I kept coming back to when I rewatched uh, Kylie Blues last night was uh, Simon Lang and um, A Pitch of Pong were ethical. Mm-hmm. Both of them have centered films around um, spaces of like hospital spaces, clinics, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing that, you know, um, especially in kind of a hot, humid setting, tropical-esque setting creates a feeling of sort of languid um, yeah. festering, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but also with like early Simon Lang and, and I guess some moments also in a film like Syndromes in a Century, because the pace, um, both in terms of narrative and in terms of cutting, is established um, in kind of a slow cinema painterly tradition. When the film does talk off, take off, whether it's the motorcycle ride or the camera suddenly cutting away down the stairs, yeah, like it feels like Fast and the Furious to me, you know. And, yeah, um, it, it, it's truly exciting, and it shows, you know, just what a filmmaker can do when they are in control of. Um, 
you know, implementing a certain structure and a certain mm -hmm. um, rhythm of, of film storytelling. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, oh, go ahead, Amelia. No, and I was gonna say, like, I'm not a person who, you, who I'm a person who's trying less and less to care to, to care less and less about like intentionality I'm just sort of try want to respond to things like more naturally but it, the sort of like the the way in which the movie paces itself out and has these two very deliberately different like sections to it did they do they they're it's very effective i guess is what i'm trying to say and it the sort of like deliberateness of the direction it's just like, like as it reveals itself in the second half of both of their movies it just i agree that it feels just like so exciting and so gripping whereas the first part is the first halves are both so so like sleepy and they're sort of like reminiscent of weird memories and they both have this interesting relationship to like dreams that mm -hmm. I think I I will have a little more to say about Long Day's Journey into Night that I'll and I'll save it since we're still on Kylie Blues but you can go ahead Jesse yeah I mean what I was gonna say is that like I think part of what especially keeps me going through that slower first half of Kylie Blues is that there's just things where like I have not seen this thing shot this way before like especially the way he shoots tunnels is like so alienating uh like it just feels like this is like the underground of some other world uh yeah, yeah and even like there, there's things that he's doing with mirrors even though mirrors have been played with in cinema for forever that it feels like I haven't seen this exact thing done with mirrors before either. Yeah, I'm glad you said that um, about, you know, just um, his eye essentially, mm -hmm. and I guess in conjunction with, um, you know, his team, because, yeah, I mean, the shot, the, the first time around uh, viewing Kylie, I was, um, you know, what I took away from it largely was that second half and, and how, mm -hmm. um, you know, kinetic and also dreamlike it was at the same time. Um, but this time I was even more, uh, the first one, the first half, just every shot, I was like, this yeah. is beautiful. Oh, this is yeah. beautiful. Oh, I see mm -hmm. why the camera setup was this for this shot, you know? Mm -hmm. um, not that he was looking at like our world, like an alien world. He was just looking at it as someone who's just incredibly present and attuned to space mm -hmm. and composition. Yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. That was like, because it had been sold to me so much on the long take, I was like mm -hmm. really taken with his composition. It reminded me a lot of like Pedro Costa and like how you're saying just like, uh, like it, cause it is like his hometown and like he is so like aware of every sort of intricate mm -hmm. detail of it and is like giving it to you. Like there's the, the great scene where the boys like drawing the clock on the wall and like mm -hmm. just the lighting around it is just so uh yeah you know incredible. there's the there's the motorcycle mirror shot which is like insanely oh, good yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah and there's just I mean, it, strange bursts of humor too like the yes i was about to say the guy so, who's got the bucket on his head it's and so crazy. Uh, the boys ride away you know there's, mm -hmm. there's just some really uh 
um, I don't know, uh, quirky is not the right word, kind of um, deliciously twisted stuff in there. Yeah. And then the the actual joke about the uh, the old masters yes, and yes. The dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Where good. he's like, everyone gets in trouble for using the lift. And I like begged him, old master, please. It's like later on that day, like I got it so hard. <laughs> it was really, yeah, it's really funny. Yeah. It's like, it's very playful. Mm-hmm. which is interesting because i think both halves are playful but obviously they're like almost in mm-hmm. different directions of like the first half is like again using his eye finding an interesting way to capture his hometown different ways to capture the same place in which in certain aspect makes you question whether it's the same space and then you realize later on as it like goes on and then the second half is obviously playful with its like use of like people and like yeah and how people are structured throughout and the sort of mini scenes that he puts in throughout his long shots and just like Mm -hmm. the sort of funny circularity of those long shots yeah i think playful is a great word for it and i think that's underscored i don't know if we want to go into spoilers on the ending ending but that's fine yeah there's you know the uh the reveal of the clocks on the side of the Uh train on the ending um you know, seems to say so much about the whole journey we've taken and about the way the film kind of blurs and ripples time, right. um, yeah. but also just goes out on a laugh, you know, which yeah. uh, for a film like this is a really kind of sweet gift um, because mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I, th- I think it sounds like a few of this, you had this experience maybe first appro- approaching this film as something that might be really rewarding, but might also feel like work, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, when a film like that goes out, with like this sort of whimsical, but also poignant laugh. I think that's great. Yeah. There's something like, I can't even like really put my finger about like the poetry of the dialogue and how, cause like, and I might be wrong. I think like it's, I read somewhere that Begon is actually like a poet as well. Yeah, um, the, the poetry that's read in Kylie Blues is his poetry. It's like okay, credited yeah. is that in the okay, credits okay. and then read oh, by I mean, the yeah. lead actor. Uh, I also want to talk about like, the credits and the way he uses a title drop. Um, right. But yeah. uh, it's, some, like, it's something that I always find so impressive in film and like the, the person that I think about it the most with which we talked about uh, a little bit a few weeks ago is Roy Anderson, who I feel like he is someone who just, and also, I mean, we talked, we did a whole month talking about Claire Denis and like <laughs> that is someone also who is very poetic, I think in her dialogue, but uh, Roy Anderson, I always feel like I'm just watching paintings and hearing poetry when I watch his movies and here it is like, I get similar vibes of, just the way i mean that he uses like literal mm-hmm. poetry um but i do also yes i love uh, the credits on like the crt tv at the beginning mm-hmm. and then also is i'm just like a sucker for a late title drop which he does like to the maximalist like extent in yes. long day's journey <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's something that uh that blissful of yours does as well i think the the mm-hmm. title card comes in about 45 minutes in, which made me wonder if if um, that was a film that was a point point of reference for him. But yeah, mm-hmm. all those things are um, 
just incredibly playful and assured for a first feature. Yeah, I mean, that is assured is yeah. like what it is. Like someone who's so confident and there's the, the there's like a feature on the Criterion channel for Long Day's Journey where Dennis Lim and Hoverman talk about him and they talk about how he sort of exists uh, as someone who like is like transcending influence where he's just like, yeah, like I like these movies and like I am paying homage, but like I'm so individualistic, like without even trying, mm -hmm. he's just like too cool. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> like uh, there's like, obviously um, he's talked about Stalker being like a big film for him. And there's like so much of the influence there um and like other Tarkovsky but uh yeah it's like it, it's really funny how he just uh exists you know beyond influence he's just like yeah I'm here like I'm making movies it's cool I was really struck by the poetry um on this viewing and like I'm not a big mm -hmm. poetry guy and I, I yeah, often mm -hmm. feel like that kind of over overlay in a film can veer into pretension or take me out of it um or just become kind of like a sleep-inducing, pleasant <laughs> uh, wallpaper, you know? Um, and I was kind of hanging on every word this time and just really mm -hmm. contemplating the vivid imagery of the words um, uh, while also, you know, doubling up on these beautiful images. I mean, it was one of the few times I, I can say that I really felt like that approach enhanced my experience. Yeah, just yeah. to continue on what Colin was saying, I, I was trying to find this because I sort of remembered it from when Long Day's Journey came out, but he did do a, a an interview with Karen Han, and she asked him, like, sort of about his influence and what he was, like, watching or whatever, and he was like, yeah, I'm watching Spongebob, I like Kung Fu Panda 3, <laughs> and, and that was, a uh, I remember it now, and it's like, it sort mm -hmm. of speaks to his weird idiosyncrasy that he's not, like, yeah. a person who's sitting down watching mm -hmm. a bunch of movies to get inspiration even though it, there he, he clearly does have some inspiration mm -hmm. yeah. yeah uh if we want to get into long day's journey in the night a little bit which is not to say we have to stop talking about kylie blues uh the background on that uh you know i feel like it was announced when the film was announced it's also going to have this same structure and the long shot is going to be in 3d which had everyone really excited uh and then yeah it i remember in 2018 as can was approaching kind of hearing that it was a film that was on the bubble of whether it was going to be in uncertain regard or the main competition it can uh and it ended up in uncertain regard where like you know ultimately what that meant was that it was the most hyped movie in uncertain regard which is not the worst thing to be especially with your second film whereas yeah. you know i think it would have absolutely held its own in competition, but could have gotten lost or could have been, you know, got the kind of uh, colossal youth reception uh, that I'd imagine there's a reason why uh, Petra Kushta's subsequent movies have not premiered in competition. It can. Uh, but yeah, it, it was, it didn't, 
it didn't win anything from the uncertain regard jury. Uh, it was like a fairly low key year for uncertain regard. Like there, uh, the winner uh, of the section was uh, Border, the Ali Abbasi film, and then there was a a Sergei Laznitsa film that he won best director for, and. Uh, I think like the other big movie that played there was uh, In My Room, the Ulrich Kohler film. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this was probably of those movies. I mean, Border was kind of a crossover hit, but like the one that this was the Long Day's Journey in the Night was the one that made the kind of biggest splash with critics, as I recall. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it is... You know, I th- uh, only me and Eric have seen this in 3D, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I actually... I had a ticket to see it at TIFF in 3D, and then I got sort of drunk and was tired, and I did, and I ended up <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> yeah, and I actually, I ended up just happening. To, I saw it at TIFF and then uh, just happened to be able to see it again. Uh, I think it came out in may maybe and it was just at the bethesda row theater so i was able to see it twice and then watched it again on the blu-ray this afternoon and it is i would say much more so than kyle i mean it's a movie that i still like a lot i definitely struggle with it more i mean it has more of that various ethical quality where i just I'm a very sleepy person and so I do just struggle to stay awake during it not in an unpleasurable way just in a you know even sitting in the theater uh have tended to rest my eyes for parts (laughs) of the first half and then the the second half really just draws you in not that I don't like the first half I think it's it's compelling to try to piece together what the the drama is in the first half but yeah this is the one where the second half I think really like you know you bolt awake and pay I mean, attention yeah. to it yeah I mean to speak the sort sort of like what Eric was saying earlier that was for sure a, a movie where it was like I was I watched Kylie Blues before going to that tiff. I liked it a lot. I was super excited, and I was like, "Yep, Long Day's Journey, my most anticipated film to watch it is <laughs> tiff." And then it was like on the eleventh day, and I was like, "I am so tired. I am going mm-hmm. to fall asleep." There is basically uh-huh. no point in me going in to watch this, so I sort mm-hmm. of missed it and had to watch it yesterday. But I think it's sort of amazing, so no mm-hmm. worry. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie in terms of the three D. It's like it is real. It is interesting 3d it looks interesting but like it's not something like goodbye to language where like you're gonna miss the movie if you don't see it in 3d it's it's just kind of enhances it a little basically in the way it would work in like a hollywood movie yeah and i'll say that it like it clearly it was like shot on like 3d cameras so you watch Mm -hmm. the like the normal like at home version that I watched and you can sort of see that it was a 3D thing and it sort of gives it a nice quality it sort of looks hazy in an interesting way yeah even at home so I did I did sort of still appreciate some of the effect it was having just visually mm-hmm. 
I actually didn't rewatch this one because the experience I had at TIFF was just so uh-huh. like, perfect. I'm afraid to like, <laughs> even though I've got a decent setup here at home, I, you know, I'm just afraid to sort of F with that first, uh, mm-hmm. you know, perfect ride. I mean, especially when the, when the 3D is announced and, and you, you feel that you're going into it, there was this mm-hmm. surge of excitement and then the whole ride, you know, the whole descent down into the space mm-hmm. was just felt ecstatic to me, you know, like, yeah. I, top 10 like feelings i've had in a movie theater probably it's yeah i can't even imagine it's like i um it's so interesting how he does it with just like the character puts on the 3d glasses and then he drops the title yeah and then you're just like in the tunnel with him it's so cool it's so good i really love this movie like i was I had heard that like most people who had seen Kylie Blues and this preferred Kylie Blues. So I like maybe my expectations were like I was going in like a little measured. Um, but I was like blown away by it. And like I it took me until the end to like realize like how much it was affecting me and like how uh just like brilliant I think it is. And I I truly like I will have to watch it again um so i think even process the first half because so yeah. much happens um but they're like on a on a visual level it's like not to just like compare it to uh you know chinese film but it is it reminded me so much of movies that i like like um wild goose lake and ashes pierce white which i think they also cite in that dennis Lim uh Hoberman video uh because it's like similarly operating in like the same like mm-hmm. neon noir genre like the, the lighting yeah. is uh similar and like he's using uh Tongwei as this like femme fatale in a way but like it's operating this genre space only visually weirdly like I and other than like the scenes where there is violence like the car wash scene which I think is one of like the coolest things in a movie that I've seen recently, I was blown away at just like how, like it's just like exciting and like cool, and mm-hmm. I was very very into that. But then like also, there's the scene where the guy's just like eating the apple and like starts breaking down. I'm like, what is happening? I I do not even know what is happening. So I'm like yeah. so excited to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scene like that that I like a lot in the first half because I think I pr- sort of prefer the first half of Kylie and then I prefer the second half of Long Day's Journey. But the the scene in the first half of Long Day's Journey that I really like is the scene that I think is was the trailer or like pre it's mm-hmm. coming out clip of like the karaoke the guy, one the karaoke yeah of, yeah just like again just like all the discovery happening in that scene and just how it sort of like slowly paces and just like the level of formal control on display is just so exciting to watch and i think even like comparing the two like second halves of kylie and this kylie is such like it's all like momentum it feels like it's just you're constantly uh going and like the way the long take operates is like you just are on the move constantly with this character and in long day's journey it feels like it isn't even a long take weird like I forget that they like haven't cut because it's so like stayed like it's so he's he's just gets such a control on it to where it's like they're playing ping pong here and then like it is the next scene and there's stuff that happens in between but like it 
just moves you through it in such like he's he's got like such uh like you're saying you know just like such a masterful control of what he is doing formerly and it's like so impressive that it's just like i i can't even believe it. i do i do love also just i think more so in this because he's got a budget uh that he didn't have entirely i imagine um the sound design is like incredible and like watching like I, I can't like that also like the 3D would be great I think but uh, like a great like theater sound system with the way he uses like left and right like audio <laughs> I think would just be mm-hmm. so good like I, I I really would love to have seen it in a theater maybe it'll play yeah. some other time you know yeah I mean like I'd love to it would be cool for theaters now that they're reopening to do like you know they'll do the 70 millimeter series or do the 3d series and if if they did a 3d series one would hope that at least the more art house theaters would include this uh you know i i afi did one years ago and i think it was uh really it was just uh like holly either newer hollywood stuff or like old hitchcock stuff and then i think like a i think it just happened to coincide with the first run of uh, goodbye to language uh but yeah i mean those are two movies in 3d that feel really vital uh yeah, I love in the second half in the in the long take of uh, Long News Journey Tonight how it, you know, like it almost feels like uh, like some like especially at the beginning like it would be like a like a text based role playing game like hmm. you wake up here and like there's yeah, your these first items <laughs> yeah 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 I, I mean, mean I first feels, I yeah. fr- I for sure had the video and like this feel sort of feels like a video game the way it's mm-hmm. like doing sort of weird environmental storytelling and the way it's set mm-hmm. around like this place and he sort of seems to be free flowing around it and I was sort of thinking like why and then I it's like my only take on it is that it is sort of video gamey and it is sort of dreamy and what those two things have in common is that what I think the movie's trying to communicate is just like existing in this liminal space between experiencing and witnessing of just like you don't know mm-hmm. if this is something you're watching or if this is something you're feeling or is this something you have like some level of control over mm-hmm. and i think that it's like i've never gotten that. Uh, uh, you're back <laughs> uh yeah I, did I cut off? A little yeah, bit, you, yeah, you did for a second. Uh, no, I, I mean, I was saying, yeah, it's video gamey. It, it's like sort of wonderful and how it has mm-hmm. a control over that. And it sort of makes you, it sort of makes you feel like a part of it, whether like, even though obviously, you know, you aren't because you, because the camera sort of moving by itself, but the way it is sort of like mm-hmm. coy and wants to discover and has having fun mm-hmm. with the way places it's going, it sort of leads you in in a way that I think is unique and I've never really gotten from a movie. Yeah, the, you know, I think in terms of comparing the two films, you know, I, I went into TIFF with this, um, like you were saying, as the most anticipated ticket and, and violating that rule I had earlier because I knew this film was going to get out there. Although, mm-hmm. 
Um, in my defense, I maybe didn't know if it was going to play 3D anywhere near me. But anyway, yeah. um, first 10 or 15 minutes, I was on the fence about whether, you know, it was so stylized and, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, took me back so much to, um, you know, sort of the perfectly rendered dreamy, like you said, neon noir, like almost, you know, I didn't think of those more recent films like uh, Black Hole, but was thinking more of like late nineties, early two thousands, Wong Kar Wai or something. And yeah. Yeah. It gave me pause for a minute where I felt like, oh no, is he, you know, is he elevated to this level of style over substance so quickly? You know, I, I mm. mistrusted myself and what I was seeing for a little while and then it snapped right out of it. I can't remember what moment it was, but it's just something where it's like, oh no, no, he's got me in his palm of his hand here. And um, mm-hmm. no one just sort of navigates space and time the way his, these two features do. And if you're able to just kind of shut your brain off and, and go along for the ride like yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's traveling through cinema it's incredible mm-hmm. yeah. yeah there's yeah, like I the mean, moment oh go ahead no i was gonna say like when i was watching it i watched it sort of between yesterday and today because that was because yesterday during the first like 30 minutes i think i fell asleep three times <laughs> and then today i like did the last like hour 40 and like as soon as i got to the long take i was like I was basically as gripped as I've been in a movie this entire year, which is like, it's impressive for a movie to be both of those things. Awesome. Yeah. The, um, there's like the moment where you like one of the first things that happens after it shifts to the, the long take where he sees the boy with like the mask on and it's just like, what are we doing? Like, how are we going like this far already? And then it like mellows out a little bit. And it is like, it's I also thought of uh the video gaminess of it, but also in a like a very like basic sense of like how I have dreams specifically of like having to like do a challenge like playing ping pong against someone, but like I keep winning and they won't let me stop. And like the way that you're saying, Emilio, like the perspective of it where it's like you're just seeing like the kid and like so you are basically playing ping pong against them. It's really uh, just so like funny and like, uh, I, I mean, it's like, I don't even have the words for it. I think of like how he does like that sort of thing. Cause then also like when you're at the pool hall, the way that it like the perspective shifts there are also just so like indelible. It's, it's just like every second of it, I was just like hands on my face, like eyes wide, like what is happening? Um, and then also, like, I think I, I want to talk a little bit about the way that they released this movie where they did this big advertising right. campaign of like, it's New Year's Eve. This is, and this, this, this huge... to be clear, this was in China, not the United yeah, in States. China. Yes. Uh, they were like, there's this huge romantic moment at the end of the movie that will time up with, uh, like the end of the year. You have to come see it. And like, <laughs> everyone was like okay yeah and it like made like the equivalent of like 15 million dollars in pre-sale tickets and then everyone saw this movie and was like what the fuck is this like what did we watch and like I, there's like it blew up on twitter of people being like i do not understand this movie what is this and it's so funny that they were like yeah we'll just lie to get people to see it and but i mean it's a lie in a way because like they're tricking like people 
who maybe wouldn't see this just like based on the movie but it is this like grand moment of like like literally like swirling romance and it's such a beautiful thing that he does in the movie to then like go from the spinning around them kissing to just like the shot of the fireworks on the desk which is like one of my favorite ending shots in a movie I think I was like I had to go back like multiple times just to watch him do it again um but and then like obviously there's like a huge drop off in <laughs> who bought tickets to see the movie afterwards but it's still like made crazy money <laughs> so like mm-hmm. maybe the next be gone movie is going to be like insane <laughs> yeah I've, I've i've had people um you know who who were in china for that experience kind of liken his perception in, in pop culture there to kind of like a harmony Corinne or something where mm. you know it's like if maybe 10 times as many people had gone to see spring breakers or something and you know uh it was a hit that everyone hated kind of vibe but yes <laughs> harmony gets there a little bit just getting films like that and beach bum into the multiplex mm-hmm. right uh, yeah but yeah i mean this was this was the film the largest country in the world was watching on new year's eve as an event that's, i mean that's insane yeah. <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> yeah and then also just proving like what a dead be gone is that he's like yeah i'll do this <laughs> i wanted to did any of you um explicitly um google whether he has a relationship to video games because i feel like i saw a quote at some yeah. point and i meant to look it up before we recorded and i just forgot so now that we're talking about video I games, i feel like he's much as mentioning he's into spongebob i think sometimes he cites video game influences rather than cinematic ones but I might be talking out of my ass there. I mean, I would certainly believe it. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. In uh, this is in a film stage interview uh, when the movie came out. Uh, uh, they asked uh, if he was working on anything else, and he was like, eh, "I've got a strip that I'm finishing up, but uh, or that I'm starting to write, but like mostly I've just been." playing video games and taking care of my kids <laughs> that's very funny yeah. well he deserves it yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah i mean i can't imagine it's like weird because it's so playful that you imagine this was just a blast to make but it also has to be so fucking stressful yeah. to make, especially yeah. that, that i mean that long shot especially that has bits like the ping pong in the pool that are basically begging to go wrong as like yeah. almost a bit mm-hmm. within them I, I just can't imagine yeah. the process of trying to make something like that. Yes. I think they there's an interview where he said it's like they basically had to rehearse and set it up for two full months before even trying oh shooting gosh. it, which is like crazy. That's but bad. I mean, it's like absolutely mm. worth it. I yeah. mean, yeah, the payoff of like the zip line is like so insane. But then also the moment mm-hmm. like that they set up and like pay off so beautifully of like you spin this paddle and you'll float or whatever and then they like mm-hmm. do it and it is like the false start and they do it again and the camera just takes off and it's just what it's just i mean it's pure magic it's like yeah exactly what i love in a movie mm-hmm. yeah i mean i was also like with the skull face at the beginning of the long shot and then like the lady with the red hair which is sort of like um, sort of a reference to something that said in early in the movie i was like it's like i was like is this sort of like spirited away like that's also like a reference <laughs> point where i got like is yeah. this sort of like this magical world that is a reflection of his mm-hmm. weird like insecurity yeah, in, in the real life which is like almost too obvious for it but it also is sort of like sets it up in a beautiful way i don't know there's like this is a sort of movie where there's maybe like an infinite amount of references because it's sort of 
you it sort of like gives so much to you that you almost don't know what to do with all of it exactly yes with with both of his films together i mean the way i was thinking about it last night was just what an innovator he is in exploring things you can do with digital film uh or with you know digital cinema um just in terms of like you know there have been a few standout films whether it's russian arc that did something you know very impressive and 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 um sustained with a long take orchestration or there's things like Simon lang you know going from you know eight minute film held takes to his 20 minute held take in stray dogs but um I don't know this to me these two films have moments that like take the fact that digital cinema has worked so hard to um replicate the quality of of film with the freedom that you get from from a digital camera in terms of movement and and durational cinema i feel like no one's no one's done as much to put those two things together to create something that you know couldn't have been done in cinema 25 years ago. Sure. No, yeah, for sure. And it's like, me and Jesse have talked about this in the past. I was just like, how there is sometimes some sort, some like sneering at like long takes and whether people think it's like jerk off or people doing too much. And I sort of appreciate a movie that is just like going all in on it. <laughs> and all, but also like, working to justify why it's using it but also mm-hmm. has such a complete disregard for how like movies should be made or whatever mm-hmm. it's like it's a movie like in both halves you can see like this is a person who clearly doesn't care about like well what should like coverage be or like this is shot reverse shot or how do are we going to communicate this like in the clear standard way possible which is like true because it's like I think there's another quote by him where he was like yeah I sort of went to film school they taught to they taught us a bunch of Hollywood stuff I was bored by it I didn't like it and then I saw Stalker and I was like oh movies can be this I'm gonna do this and it's clearly like it is so enjoyable to see somebody be so free with formalism Mm -hmm. that all we got (laughs) Uh, sounds like it is. Uh, Eric, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thanks so much for having me again. Yeah, do you have anything that you want to plug, whether it be a personal thing or just like a thing you have watched or experienced that you like? Well, I uh, always like pointing people to Beyond Video, which is Mm -hmm. the uh, nonprofit video library I run here in Baltimore. Um, We uh, opened up in 2018 and we've grown to, you know, uh, about 21,000 different movies in a row house wow. in Baltimore that's, you know, works works as a nonprofit library and we take donations from all over. So if you were listening, thinking, oh, I'm not in Baltimore, I can't do anything with that. You could, you could send me a DVD we don't have yet and uh, <laughs> think of 22,000 or 21,001 movies. So um, look up Beyond Video. And I also wrote an article about, you know, how I feel like the, even though Baltimore is a, a pretty uh, cheap place to live and do weird things like this. I think it could be repeatable in almost any place if you have a community of excited people. So yeah, looking to be on video. All right. Uh, Well, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at uh, Can I Kick It or on Letterboxd. 
at uh, C-I-K-I pod. You can follow me on either of those platforms at J.P. Glick Weber. Weber has two Bs. Uh, and I will plug that people should watch baseball. Uh, the All-Star <laughs> game was last night and it wasn't very good, but uh, it is just still a reminder that like there's just so many really cool people playing baseball right now. Uh, Colin? Uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to, since Andy's not here, I'll say oh, if yeah. you want to donate to our coffee, it uh, is ko-fi.com slash can I, like the podcast, C-A-N-N-E-S-I. Um, and then I'm Clatchley on everything, C-L-A-T-C-H-L-E-Y. And I watched the nutty professor recently the jerry lewis movie it's so funny <laughs> all these jerry lewis movies i watch and i'm like yep this one is also just hilarious um emilio uh yeah you can follow me on letterbox at uh i laugh alone and you can follow me on twitter at i'm laugh alone our our theme song is by tree related you can find them at soundcloud.com slash tree related or search tree related on spotify that's about it all right, and I'll go ahead and release our audience. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.